If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. Hey, welcome to Ikea, where even this desk is circular. Huh, how so? Looks pretty rectangular to me. It's because we're always looking to repair, reuse, and we love our products, like buying back your IKEA items for store credit. Or shop our as-is section for great deals. You can even order free spare parts. Get on the circular path for a more sustainable future. Still a rectangle. Get started at IKEA-USA.com slash circular. Visit IKEA-USA.com slash circular for as-is information and buyback and resale terms and conditions. Spare parts not available for all products. <laughs> And welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Reveal. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. 90 years ago, on the 24th of April 1932, a few hundred ramblers headed up a peak in Derbyshire. But this walk up Kinder Scout that day was no normal hike. Rather, It was a trespass, a willful act of civil disobedience intended as a protest over restrictions to land access. In the nine decades since, the Kinder trespass has been mythologised in British radical history. But does it deserve its reputation? I spoke to the Keele University historian Dr Ben Anderson, who specialises in the history of leisure, recreation and the environment, to get his opinion on the matter. Let's start with the basics. What exactly happened on the Kinder Trespass? So the Kinder Scout mass trespass was uh, a protest about access rights in which roughly about 400 people in April 1932 um, walked up this gorge up to the top of Kinder Scout, uh, protesting uh, their right to recreational access to what is really sort of England's highest upland moorland plateau. 
So there's loads of different accounts of that day. Some are more reliable than others. But what do we know about how events unfolded? Okay, so um, I mean, it's probably worth just making sure that everyone understands where Kinder Scout is and its kind of position in the um, in the United Kingdom. Really, it's, it's the highest point in the Peak District, which is this, which is now this national park and has always obviously been a sort of site of leisure in the middle um, of the United Kingdom, right in the, between lots of industrial cities. And it's kind of it's, it's a strange sort of hill because it's it's composed of these quite steep sides. There's some rocky outcrops towards the top, um, sort of cloughs, so these, these gullies leading up to it. And then on the top, there's basically just this enormous expanse of peat bog. And in fact, one of the excuses for closing the, the mountaintop over, over the years in the 1920s especially was that uh, ramblers kept going up there and getting lost and dying. This was definitely a, a wilderness zone um, it, in a way which, which, which probably isn't easily sort of replicable in the UK outside of Scotland. It's quite an unusual site for the United Kingdom. And I think for that part, partly for that reason, it has had this kind of mystique and attractiveness for ramblers. And so access to it was always a, an important aim um, right from really the beginning of rambling movements in the, in the kind of late 19th century. You mentioned just there that Kinder Scout had been closed off can you give us a bit of context about that? It is it is a complicated story because the ownership of, of Kinder Scout actually changed significantly over this period. But it, it, the basic the basic story here is grouse shooting. By the 1920s and 1930s, significant areas of the Peak District were utilised, had previously been um, grazed by sheep, basically, and they were utilised for the preservation of grouse in order so that people, mainly, in fact, MPs from, from the Parliament, uh, would come up on specific weekends and, and shoot absolutely vast numbers of these birds. And of course, this is a practice that's, that still goes on today and is still controversial for many of the same reasons. And um, so this isn't something which, is, which has disappeared. But, but this meant that many of these, these moorland areas were by the 1920s closed off. There were a few that were closed off more, more by water authorities and urban district councils at this time. Uh, but by and large, it's about grouse shooting. And, and kin, on Kinder, it was about grouse shooting. So these are areas which are set aside, often rented out by the nobility. Um, and, so, and so that part of this dispute, it was already kind of run through by those by those class uh, class aspects. So by the time that we reach April 1932, what's going on? Why do a load of ramblers decide that they're going to do a trespass, an intended trespass on Kinder Scout? There's a lot going on. Um, so the, the first thing is that there's a long running access set of access disputes um, in the Peak District, but also elsewhere. And, um, you know, that's an important part of the longer term context uh, to what happens at Kinder Scout. Uh, but a lot of these access disputes, especially pertaining to what was known as the right to roam, so this isn't about specific footpath access, but rather about the right to roam over what had what had previously often been commons areas or wastelands, so areas where people would normally graze cattle, uh, go and take their cattle to be grazed, it, about access to those places. And by 1932, it it, a lot of this had kind of ground to the halt, especially when it came to that kind of broader right um, to roam. And there was a lot of frustration, especially amongst poorer ramblers who are increasingly utilising these spaces with the kind of, if you like, the kind of respectable rambling clubs and their lack of lack of actual success in being able to open these, these broad areas. And in addition to that, 
um, in, by the late 1920s and early 1930s, uh, there was the arrival of what was kind of known as, um, it, it was known as a rap, the hiking craze, dismissed by the respectable ramblers who, um, who, who thought of these hikers as a kind of an Americanization of their, their wonderful pursuit. Uh, they kind of decried them wearing short shorts and, and T-shirts and their, their dropping of litter in the countryside, opening of gates, you know, various bad behaviours, all the things that are now nicely sort of targeted in the country because I go. Um, they're, they're decrying this group of ramblers for that. And, and so the stage is, is in a sense kind of set for an altercation, not just between the nobility and represented by gamekeepers, who of course are also locals. So there's a local urban dynamic going on here, uh, but also within the within the kind of the rambling um, society as well. So the Kinderscout mass trespass in in part needs to be, you know, understand as a little bit of a finger towards the respectable rambling clubs as well as much as it is um, towards the, um, the, the the kind of the landowners and their their kind of uh, gamekeeping uh, protectors. And so the trespassers that we're talking about here, these were these new young ramblers of the hiking craze. Is that right? So I mean, it's always difficult, and I don't want to offend any sensibilities here. But yes, I, th- I think it's I think it's probably broadly the case that these were people who had recently gotten into rambling. They certainly weren't a part of the kind of older rambling traditions. Now, that's not to say you know the respectable ramblers would have considered them hikers and dismissed them as kind of froth and built bubble and so on. But that's not to say that they weren't you know they they weren't sort of genuine walkers, right? They, they they're just as much you know a part of the kind of the walking fraternity as these respectable ramblers are. To a certain extent, I think the kind of class dynamics here within these groups has been a little bit overdone because there are plenty of working class people and employed people within the traditional rambling circuits. It's not like these are the first working class people to get involved in rambling, but it is nevertheless the case that this group of ramblers, especially the ones that went trespassing on Kinder Scout, more ideological in their socialism. So they're, they're very much from the left wing um, of British politics, sponsored by the uh, British Workers uh, Sports Federation, which was more or less a, a sort of branch of the Communist Party. And they brought some of those campaign tactics um, to the to the trespass. So we are witnessing the, the introduction of a, I guess, of a, of a new a more militant, more type of rambler who's more more interested in in direct action, and that's that's in part, I suppose, what sets the the the, the mass trespass apart. So, what happened on the twenty fourth of April? Well, Benny Rothman the, organised this, and he was a member of the, this BWSF group. Um, he sent out a bunch of adverts, basically, in the lead up to April, saying we're going to have this this big mass trespass, and that attracted hundreds of people from Manchester, sort of four hundred between sort of four hundred and six hundred. We think we're not not quite sure of the numbers. <laughs> it also attracted some attention from the police, not least because of the con- the communist connection, and they descended on Hayfield, joined perhaps by a few locals from Hayfield, but again, a little not quite sure exactly the numbers there and exactly who was involved. And they proceeded to uh, firstly walk up to a quarry and hold a kind of a, um, an assembly there where they read speeches and uh, probably sang some songs and then proceeded to walk up uh, William Clough. And it was about, you know, it was about, I suppose about two thirds of the way up William Clough or so that uh, they were met, met by a kind of probably an arranged group of gamekeepers who descended from the moor. Um, and there was this kind of brief scuffle uh, where, I mean, uh, the clearly use of sticks on both sides. Um, and one of the gamekeepers ended up getting, I mean, allegedly hospitalised. I suspect he wasn't particularly badly injured. Uh, this group from Manchester then proceeded 
up onto the edge of the moor. Again, there's all this controversy about whether they actually adopted. They probably didn't get to the top. The top of Kinder Scout's really hard to find because it's just flat on the top. You got to the edge um, and they met a batch of Sheffield uh, mass trespassers who had come over the top of Kinder Scout and sort of exchanged a few words, celebrated, and then they went back down. Um, and it was at that point that uh, five members were arrested um, and then there was one that was arrested during the scuffles. And uh, and this, this, this sort of small core group, which included Benny Rothman, initially taken into custody in Hayfield and then subsequently moved to New Mills when the crowd was protesting outside. And there they were charged um, with uh, unlawful assembly and breach of the peace. It was fairly innocuous um, sorts of offences. They pleaded not guilty. And then it was really at this point that the trespass effectively started to get properly important uh, because it was at this point that it started a, a public outcry basically emerged surrounding the treatment of these trespassers for what had actually been a fairly innocuous exchange, if we're honest, actually taking place on Kinder Scout. Uh, these six trespassers were sent to Derby Assizes. So an assize court is basically an a national court, but in a local area. They were sent to the Derby Assizes um, and prosecuted under riotous affray, I think, um, by a by a kind of what was probably a packed jury, um, miles away from their homes. So they were unable to provide witnesses. Four of them were jailed for various terms. One was let off, I think. So that and it was that it was that jailing of these of these trespassers who, for many Manchester people, have just been effectively exercising their right to recreation. You know, they, most people expected them to be prosecuted in some way because that was typically what happened in cases like this. But for them to be given jail sentences, to, for them to be prosecuted at the assizes so far from home, appeared so unfair that it, it really came to represent the uh, land grab of these these moorlands from working class people by the um, by the by the nobility for the purposes of grouse shooting. <laughs> Still to come on the History Extra podcast. Irrespective of how far it overstates the importance of the event, if you like, the memory of it is absolutely crucial. So I think it it, it needs to be placed in a, in, a, in a longer sort of time frame on both sides, but for perhaps for slightly different reasons. We don't always realise just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down you may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings, that frustrating thing your mum does, or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest, whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash history extra. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So I definitely want to return to that question of the importance and the consequence and reactions in a moment. But there is a lot to unpack here, isn't there? So things that you've mentioned that have come up is the right to to leisure, the right to ramble, um, but also this this kind of more class-based dispute about access to land. So to what extent was this really about being able to walk on moorlands? And to what extent was it about something deeper and perhaps more profound in in the way that access to land was governed in England? Oh, that's a big question. I I think probably for Benny Rothman, I think I would probably hazard to say that this was actually fairly straightforward and they saw it as an an exercise of their privileges. I think a, a different way of maybe thinking about that question is to consider how far this group understood themselves as doing something genuinely new and how and how far they understood themselves as building upon a series a kind of tradition of uh, radical protest in countryside um, spaces and particularly over rights to access often the kinscout mass trespass is understood as this kind of um, sort of one-off unusual claim on the moorlands of the peak district but actually there are there are forerunners so there's a there was a there's a really big mass trespass um, on winter hill near Bolton, so this is again in northwest England, in 1896, and that attracted maybe 10,000 people. So it's vastly bigger than the Chindersmount Mass Trespass. Why aren't we talking so much about the Winter Hill Trespass then? Right, I, I mean, a big question, right? It's, it's, it's not, that hasn't become a part of the mythology of rambling in the same way uh, that Kinder Scout has. I think there, there's a, a significant group of people in Bolton and local universities to it that argue very convincing that it probably should be. But I think because there wasn't this cult, I mean, and people did get prosecuted for that. There were, there were people who were fined. Again, it was organised by left-wing groups. It was organised by the Social Democratic Federation, so the forerunners of the Communist Party. So there are a lot of similarities between that one and Kinder Scout. And also, critically, it was supported in their thousands by loads and loads of local people. So this, it, what started off as a small kind of procession turned into this sort of festival of trespass up onto Winter Hill. And okay, we can argue that this was about a right of way in order to get onto Winter Hill, but Winter Hill was definitely understood as a commons over which you could exercise your rights. But even that isn't the start of the story. There's, we, we can go back further and think about rights to trespass over. There's protest over uh, Knoll Park um, in, um, in southern England, but Camp said Hom- Common um, in, the, in the late 19th century. There's a protest, there were protests about access to Hyde Park in, in the mid-19th century. And these were, these were mass protests about public access to space. And going back even further a lot of the radical protests of the early 19th century. So these are the kind of the revolutionary protests amongst British people, a chartism, for example. A lot of those protests were, were organised. People met 
in moorlands and open spaces. So there was a long tradition of connection between radical politics, left-wing politics, um, and protest in countryside spaces. And so one of the questions that we perhaps should be posing about the trespass on Kinder Scout is how far should we understand this as perhaps even the last major outsurge you know, of, this, of this tradition, but certainly within that much longer tradition of radical protest over, over these lands, land access rights. I wonder if at this point we could just reiterate a bit as well um, about how important access to land was for many people. Kinder Scout was obviously fairly close to Manchester and Sheffield, both big industrial hubs at the time. But what did being able to get out into common land offer people who were living in these industrial cities? Right. I mean, a lot of a lot of trespassers, and not not just trespassers, just standard walkers, you know, um, or cyclists, viewed a lot of these places very very much as an escape. Like we get that we get that in the literature a lot. It's a lot of it's about recuperation, the readjustment of people um, for a, for a new kind of modern industrial uh, lifestyle. So a lot of this is about that kind of escape um, into the countryside. But there there are other things at play here too. I think so. One classic group of ramblers who did a lot of trespassing but didn't like mass trespassers uh, was um, was the group in Sheffield led by a famous rambler uh, CWB Ward and his really his his kind of trespass was about the assertion of masculinity this was about a kind of a regeneration of manliness in the moorlands um, of the northern peak um, and at the same time and perhaps I would probably as to say, unlike Benny Rothman and the trespassers on Kinder Scout, for Rothman, this was also an op- trespass was also an opportunity to get to know locals and to get to know local culture. So his his booklets are tales of trespass and tales of engagement with gamekeepers, sometimes fooling them, sometimes fooling, forming friendships with them. But it's also about the um, environmental injustices of the Peak District. It's about the struggles of rural inhabitants in the 20s and 30s, when rural poverty was a really serious issue. And so it's also a kind of this kind of social analysis of of rural life in Derbyshire. And trespassing was an integral part of Ward's sort of of investigative process. So yes, it's about escape and it's about recreate, you know, it's about recreation, so recreation in these areas. But there were other things that the different ramblers hung on to onto that 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 overall bracket and i think i suppose a part of that is reflected in these disputes within the walking and rambling groups um in the interwar period what role did did the countryside play in english national discourse at this time what was the countryside seen to represent so firstly, there's a, there's a lot of various different versions of Englishness floating around amongst walkers, amongst descriptions of, of the English landscape in the, in the interwar period. Many people have argued that it's a lot of, a lot of what constituted Englishness in this time was really redolent of South Country, as it was known. So rolling hills, pastures, village greens. And, and, and it's not the case that those areas weren't also subject to ac- access disputes. Obviously, the Northern Uplands don't fit into that, that kind of version of what it meant to be, to be English. And so to a certain extent, they're, they're also a site of, of northernness or, or perhaps better, a northern version of what it means to be, to be English in this period. There's also a Scottish access campaign going on at this time as well. And in fact, the Access to Mountains Act, which is the act that's meant to create this right to roam. So it's formed by James Bryce, I think 1885 was the first attempt to pass the bill. That's 
the first iterations of that bill were just about Scotland. It was just about access to the Scottish Highlands and the right to roam all across the Scottish Highlands. And so throughout this period, when we're talking about kinder, in fact, there's this parallel sort of equally <laughs> equally important access campaign going on north of the border um, um, about the rights of Glaswegians and people from Edinburgh, Stirling, and all of the industrial cities in the central, but all of their their rights of access to landscapes um, in the Highlands, and that's that's equally complex in terms of its relationship with sort of local history, because of course you know crofters are just being thrown off these lands. There's some real tensions here at play, you know, in both quarters, and we need to think of it not just in terms of Englishness and Scottishness, but it's also about regional identities, northernness, you saw Manchester and Sheffield Ramblers meeting up, and also about urban identities. So Ewan McColl's um, song, you know, supposedly written sort of for the mass trespass on Kinder Scout, was about the Manchester Rambler, you know, Manchester Ramblers as being in Manchester made. And so there's, you know, there was a real sense of ownership of these moorlands by, by these people. I might circle us back round now to the consequences of the Kinder Scout trespass. So, as you say, Benny Rothman and some others, they were arrested and jailed. What were the other immediate consequences? Were there any? To be honest, no. <laughs> I mean, there are a few there are a few smaller things that happened um, in 1932 that we could, you know, we could perhaps uh, we could perhaps draw on. A recurrent Winnets Pass meeting organized by the respectable rambling club, so organized by basically by Ward's Sheffield Clarion, but still left-wing rambling club, right? And the Manchester Ramblers Federation, which was much more kind of um, liberal, I suppose you would say, and sort of respectable. And normally that had attracted sort of five or 6,000 people each year. Um, in 1932, it attracted 10,000. And there was much criticism of the, of, of the sort of respectable rambling leadership by the BWSF um, for not standing up sufficiently uh, for Benny Rothman and the, rest, mass tres- the, the Kinder Scout group. So there's that aspect. There were a couple of other smaller mass trespasses that took place, although how far we kind of know about those because of the Kinder Scout trespasses, that's kind of an open tres- question. Um, and, and I suppose more generally, we might speak of a greater unity amongst the, the sort of the wider rambling, rambling circuit. Um, and it's in this time that discussion about national parks first gets going. Um, it's at this time that there's another access to mountains bill going through Parliament. This one gets passed, but it's completely gutted by the time it actually gets passed. So it's completely meaningless. So there is legislation kind of coming down the line, but we don't get any really significant movement on access until after the Second World War and the, the emergence of national parks, of which the Peak District was the first. Now, you know, we can draw a line in terms of the kind of mythology of Kinder Scout, the memory of Kinder Scout. We can draw a line between that and the national parks and the fact that the Peak District was one of the first and the fact that the that Kinder and, and Bleaklow were some of the first areas to to uh, over which access new access agreements were agreed following national parks. But there's an awful lot about national parks, which really is a long way from what the mass trespass was organising. I think it is broadly speaking right to say, well, really, anything like what the mass trespass was campaigning for only appears with the Crow Act of 2000. So it it takes an enormous amount of time uh, to kind of feed through. But throughout that period, the Kinder Scout mass trespass, perhaps I would say probably say even more and more, becomes the kind of founding mythology of the access campaign. It becomes increasingly important in its history. 
you use the word mythology there. And as you say, Kinder Scout has been hailed in British radical history as this, this triumphant, definitive moment of popular protest. Why do you think it has got that reputation when, as you say, there were much bigger trespasses? And, and also more, and, and also regular trespasses. Like it's, it's difficult for us to kind of just appreciate just how much trespassing was going on by, uh, yes, individuals might not be noticed too much, but also, you know, small groups, groups of 20, 30, right up to the, you know, right up to the Winter Hill stuff. You know, they, there's a lot of trespassing going on. There's a lot of campaigning against um, against both footpath closures and, and in favour of right to roam. I think, I think a lot of it has to do with the response by the landed interests and their, you know, and, and and their willingness to prosecute Benny Rothman and so harshly, and and that in turn has a lot to do with the, I think probably a calculation on the landed interest that okay here was a group that they could prosecute without fear of reprisal because it was a group that was communist because it was a group that was uh, that was made up of quite a lot of Jewish people so for a variety of reasons I suspect they saw them as a soft target and it's you know uh, and they got it completely wrong and the, the the general British public rounded on the on the landowners and in support um, of Rothman and his um, and his you know his, his fellow convictees, and um, you know and and I, and I think it's from that really that the the trespassers achieved this 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 position of of notoriety. You know that's one to say that it wasn't an important event. It kind of demonstrates the political impetus of that movement, which we might otherwise understand as a little bit apolitical and and you know an anodyne. So I think there's, but like I said, I don't want to completely dismiss the idea that it was. It was important at the time because I think it was. It's just that I think its its memory has proven so to be so much more significant, and than the events themselves perhaps were. Perhaps were. If we're looking at back at this ninety years on, how do you think we should be talking about it and thinking about it as an emblem of a much bigger movement? Yeah, I certainly think I certainly think it needs to be contextualised more thoroughly within this broader and longer history of uh, radical and left wing protest within the um, within the. You know, within within Britain and, and within Scotland, and, and especially in terms of Scotland, we need we need to understand the connections. I think a little bit better between the the English movement um, and the Scottish movements for for access. But I think the other the other important thing is that we need to understand the memory of it better. You know, it, it's within the memory that a lot of the a lot of the radical politics about access actually gets placed. It's with it's through that memory and it's through that heritage. It's you know, it's an active process of generation. It's not just remembering exactly what's happened. It's about defining it, about defining its meaning. And understanding its meaning as something which has had a really positive in, in influence on the on the access movement, irrespective of how far it overstates the importance of the event, if you like, the, the memory of it is absolutely crucial. So I think it it, it needs to be placed in a, in a in a longer sort of time frame on both sides, but for perhaps for slightly different reasons. That was Dr. Ben Anderson. Ben is a lecturer in 20th century European history and he specialises in the history of leisure, recreation and the environment at Keele University. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt, Jack Bateman and Brittany Colley.